Good morning. It's good to see you today and have an opportunity to be together in worshiping. We're glad that you're here. We welcome again our visitors and appreciate your presence. We look forward to getting better acquainted with you and invite you to come back tonight as we meet again at 6 o'clock. We invite you to get your Bible and join us. In a moment, we'll be not only considering our reading from Matthew 21, but some other passages from God's Word uh, as it relates to our topic. But first of all, we encourage you, if you're not a Christian, to think very seriously about your need to put your faith in Jesus Christ and obey His Gospel. We have talked this morning already about the great love of God, the great love of Jesus, His willingness to endure the tragedies of the cross for us. Uh, as in our sin, we presented ourselves not as friends, but as enemies. And while we don't like to think of ourselves as the ones who drove the nails and, and uh, mocked Him, yet in, in reality our sin uh, puts ourselves on that side of, of, of things rather than on God's side. Our sin condemns us. We need to be redeemed. And the redemption is through the death of Jesus Christ. And that redemption is received when we have the faith to trust the Word of God, the wonderful words of life, and obey them in our own life. To repent of our sin against God. To confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And to be baptized into the death of Christ where that sacrifice was made. The price of our redemption. His blood. And being baptized into His death, you're raised to walk in newness of life. Saved from your past sin, a child of God. And then to live with uh, that assured hope that He gives us as His people. We hope you'll become a Christian this morning. That's the persuasion that God gives. As we sang the song a moment ago, these wonderful words of life woo us to heaven. They call us to a heavenly home. We have to respond in faith and obey Him. To put that into ourselves as a genuine faith our own lives. And that begins by becoming a Christian and it continues as, as faithful Christians, faithful children of God. So if sin has hindered us, then let us return to God. Let us repent and seek His mercy. He's abundant in loving kindness and willing to forgive. And we praise His name for that. As we turn our attention to the issue of regrets, certainly uh, regrets over a previous attitude, over a previous word, a previous action, regrets over sin, uh, something that we can all relate to, something that we all have had or maybe have at this very moment. The word regret itself, and we'll get back to Matthew 21, but the word regret itself, it means, as used here, literally means to, to care afterwards. Doing something or failing to do something, and then afterward regretting it, caring, having a, a care that that tends toward sorrow and remorse over what was done or what was not done. In Second Corinthians seven and verse eight, the Word of God says, "Even if I made you sorry with my letter," and Paul's referring to the first letter to the Corinthians. Even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. He, he, he had a regret for a time, 
But now he says, I, I do not regret it. There was an outcome favorable that removed any, any sorrow or potential sorrow he had. Yet we'll see a little bit later where he expressed that sorrow at the very moment of his writing. So Paul understood regrets. It was not a sinful regret that he had, but it was a, it was a, a care after having done something and written them the letter that, uh, that he, he possessed and that he expressed on that, on that occasion. You see, a regret, depending on how we use it, can help us or it can hinder us. I suppose in a lot, uh, a lot of our study this morning will be about the hindering aspect of regret, but also uh, at the same time we want to blend into that the restorative possibilities of regret if we have the right type, if we handle it in the right way. And I appreciated the the passage that that uh, Aaron read at the table, Hebrews chapter twelve, because there it said. Since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that easily besets us. And I, I'm focused particularly on that word weight or encumbrance. There are encumbrances at times that he says that we have to lay aside. And there's sin that we have to lay aside, but sometimes there are things that weigh us down. And regrets can do that. Regret in our life can become an encumbrance that hinders us. If we use it and understand it in the right way, then it can be an incentive to resolve those regrets as we saw in the reading in Matthew 20, 21. You see, to be able to address those regrets in our lives, those weights or encumbrances, to lay them aside to resolve them, if you will, and to come to the end of the way and be able to say what Paul said, this is our goal, this is our objective. Paul said, the time of my departure is near. I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the Lord the righteous judge will give to me in that day. And not to me only, but also to all those who have loved His appearing. Paul had regrets. And we'll note some of those as we go on. We have and have had regrets. To be able to come at the, to the end of life and say, now those have been resolved. Those have been addressed. Those have not become encumbrances that weighed, weighed me down and kept me from the goal of eternal life. That's where we want to, to progress and arrive at. That's where, that's, where we want, that's where we're moving toward. And hopefully our study this morning will help us accomplish that in our own lives with what particular regret, if it's a sin, one that is concerning sin or maybe those that are not even sin. But we can address them, understand them, and address them in a godly way so they don't hinder us. Let's understand it for a minute. Understanding regret for just a little while by talking first of all about the sources of regret. What causes regret? Several things, and I'm sure this is not going to be an exhaustive list, but certainly our sins ought to cause regret. You know, Cambridge Dictionary defines the word as a feeling of sadness about a mistake that you've made and a wish that it could have been different and better. Well, that begins to get to the idea of caring afterwards. Uh, of looking back and saying, 
I shouldn't have done that. I wish I had done that. Uh, other thing, I could have been better. I should have been better. But when it comes to sin, sin certainly can, it ought to cause a regret that leads us, as this passage teaches us, to repentance. Paul wrote, went on right in, in the same text, now I rejoice. He said, I had regret. But now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Now the Corinthians had a regret. They had a sorrow that produced repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. They, they were brought to a point of regret, of sorrow and remorse to repent of their sin. You made sorry after a godly manner that you might suffer the loss from us, might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance unto salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. When we regret sin and are moved to repent, now regret's a little different than repent. Repent regretting is looking back and being sorry, having sorrow, having remorse. Understanding I could have, should have done better, uh, should have done different. I regret, but that regret prompts a sorrow that is godly. A godly sorrow. Uh, a sorrow that, that those sins were against God. Those sins were against what He wants me to be. What he is, His Son has died in, to, to, to save me from. He says, now, that led to your Repentance. And there's no regret for that kind of repentance. You don't have to look back and be sorry you repented of sin. You don't have to regret repentance. On the other hand, the sorrow of the world leads to death. Just the sorrow that, that does not put that sorrow in the category of faith leading to repentance and, and salvation. That's, that leads to death. David understood what this kind of sorrow was, this kind of regret was. In Psalm 32 and 3 said, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. My iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There was a time in David's life where where he tried to, 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 to live in sin. He tried to live with sin. And it weighed terribly upon him. I, can, I, I perceive David as, as, as daily living through having regret and regret and yet fighting against that and, 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 try and going. You know, he, he, he lies after the adultery, he lies, he murders. This is way he must have been dealing with terrible regret until he's brought to that point of acknowledging his sin. You know, if you got a burden of sin in your life, a burden of, uh, 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 that you, that you regret, you you got to we've got to come to a point of repentance of acknowledging it to God of letting that go in the sense of changing our heart so our life now is trusting in 
the mercy, the forgiveness, and the faithfulness of God to lead us in a different way and to do a different thing in our lives. Sin can cause regret, but it, it ought to be a regret leading to a godly sorrow unto salvation. Paul is a good illustration. Paul did terrible things, which I'm, of which I'm sure he had a regret, but it caused a godly sorrow. For three days and nights, he is in a state of, of regret and sorrow and praying and fasting. And then as he's, his sins are washed away when he's baptized, immediately he begins a new life. Regret The regret of sin, if we allow it, can destroy us. But we need to lay that aside through repentance, godly sorrow producing repentance, so that we can be faithful to God and live for heaven. You see, failures cause regrets. Failures cause regrets. We understand that. I don't have to elaborate that. It's just we 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 failed to be what we expected ourselves to be. We failed to do something we should have done or not done, or didn't do something we should have done. And we failed. Well, Peter understood that. Peter failed. He did not expect that he would deny Jesus three times. But he failed. And he, he wept bitterly over it. The prodigal, the son who wasted his inheritance on sinful living, came to a moment of regret that caused godly sorrow and led him to repent. But he he had regret. He looked back and he knew he had not been what he ought to be. He had not made the choices that were right. Failures. Our failures is what we're dealing with. And so, and so we have to, you know, in, in trying to deal with regret, sinful or otherwise, at some point, we have to acknowledge that we failed and give up the idea that somehow or another we're perfect. <laughs> we failed. And we have a regret, but that's not going to keep us from making a change and doing the right thing. Peter changed. The prodigal changed. We can change. But we're talking about the causes of regret right now. You know, knowing we could have done better. You see, Peter, Peter's confidence was shattered. It was shattered at that moment. Peter had said, though all deny you, I will not do it, Jesus. Look at that, Matthew 26 and 33. Peter said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. I will never do it. You ever told yourself that? I'll never do that, but then you end up doing it. Even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. It's in the moment of regret that our confidence, our overconfidence, is shattered. And we had to face that reality. Sometimes regrets come with age. You know, sometimes as we become more reflective as we grow older, and we begin to look back and recognize, well, I regret this or I regret that. That can be helpful. It can also become a hindrance that we need to lay aside. But 
It can come with age. Sometimes regrets come because of self-examination, which is a good and an important thing. As we examine ourselves, as we look back and understand failings and opportunities to improve, they need not weigh us down. So he said, lay aside the weights. Identify it. Know what causes it. And, and then do, do God's will. I want to talk about what, here's some, uh, what causes regret. I'm sorry. What regret causes. I was supposed to have a, I was supposed to have a dividing chart in there. I apologize. I kind of got thrown there. I'll try to add that before I send that to you or send you an update, Chuck. <laughs> We've been talking about what causes regret, sin, our failures, looking back and knowing we could have done, should have done better. But what what can regret cause as a result of its presence in our lives? Here's one thing it, it causes. It causes sorrow. You know, God regretted that He made man. You know that? In Genesis 6, verses 6 and 7, the Lord was, was sorry that He had made man on the earth and He was grieved in His heart. Sorrow, this regret, produces grief. The Lord said, I will destroy man from whom I, uh, whom I created on the face of the earth, for I am sorry that I have made them. He, re- he had an element of regret. Now that wasn't a sinful regret. It was a sorrow born out of man's choices, sin, his, his, his wickedness. Because that was not God's intent for man. And so he said, I, I regret. I, 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 and now I have to bring judgment. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And that's an illustration of the point. First Samuel 15 and verse 11, it said, God said, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. God set up Saul and Saul had the opportunity to follow the commandments of God. Saul chose poorly, sinfully. God said, I regret that I set him up. God was sorry. Sorrowful for it. It's an expression of, there's an expression of grief where there is a regret. So, so yes, regret causes grief. We can't, we can't, I don't know how we legitimately say I regret something if there's not a, a, a tinge, an element of, of being sorry, of sorrow, grief uh, over that particular thing. Paul, let's go back to him for a minute. Remember he said, uh, when I wrote you, back there in chapter 7 and 8, he said, I'm, if my letter made you sorry, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. Well, so what was the previous regret he's talking about? I think we get a hint in chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Paul experienced the grief of regret. He regretted that he had to write such a blistering letter in 1 Corinthians. It was, a, it was a rebuke. He said, I, I, I and I there was a there was a sorrow attached to that. I had a regret that I had to do it, but I did it, he said, because I love you. 
And I wrote it in tears so that you would understand my abundant love for you. You see, regret has an element of sorrow. But it has to be godly sorrow. Peter had great sorrow. Wept bitterly. Judas, as we'll see in a moment, had a sorrow with his regrets, but it led him in a completely different way. A different action. We acknowledge that regret causes sorrow. We're sorry. Now, is it a godly sorrow or is it the sorrow of the world? Are we going to do something about it in God's way to correct through repenting? Or are we going to stay in the regret, stay in the sorrow to our own destruction? That's the challenge of our faith. That's where faith must be applied to come out of the destructive into the beneficial, to lay aside the weight that would hinder us and prevent us from faithfulness. Let me on with another point with you. And here's the thought amplified a bit. You see, regret can, can immobilize us. We can look back and we can see our failings and we can be sorry and, and, and we can regret it and we can be moved to, to do nothing. We can be, become immovable. Regret can prevent us from seizing our present opportunities to grow. Redeeming the time for the days are evil, Ephesians 5.16 says. If I'm all the time looking backwards and saying, I regret, I regret, I regret, but I never address that in a godly way with sorrow that's godly to repent, then, then I've just immo- become immobilized. Hebrews 6, and I've exposed myself to more temptation. I've exposed myself now to the very likelihood that I become apathetic. Eventually, I become negligent and, and apathetic toward my faith. Content to say, I regret it, I regret it, but I don't do anything to improve it. Hebrews 6, 9. Beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. He'd been talking to them that they should have been grown, they should have grown from where they were previously. So, so, so he says, But God is not unjust. Forget your work and labor of love that you've shown toward His name and that you have ministered and do minister and do minister. Uh, minister to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence with full assurance of hope to the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who, who through faith and promise or through faith and patience inherit the promises. Don't become sluggish. Don't become lazy. Don't become apathetic. You see, if I allow my regret to just immobilize me, just stifle me, just I'm, I, I just my feet are in cement and I just can't move because I'm just always regretting, regretting, regretting. Then, then, hey, that's the that's exactly the environment Satan wants you to be in. He wants you to live. He wants you to embody regret so that you never trust the forgiveness of God. So that you never rely upon the mercy of God. That you never build faith in God. But you shape and mold yourself after regret. And then He's got you where you want. you know. Yes, when we let God down when we let our loved ones down, when we let ourselves down, we regret it. Peter did. 
but He repented. When we don't measure up to our own expectations, hopefully the expectations that are God's, we regret it. But we have to repent and move forward. When we don't measure up to to what others expect of us, real or imagined, sometimes we feel regret. All kind of different sources, but you see, Satan wants you to be immobilized. He wanted to immobilize David. He wanted, he wanted David to, to, to sweat his heart out on his bed every night just as long as you don't acknowledge your sin and, and change your life, David. You just keep covering it up. You just keep that going. And you can regret all you want. Well, thankfully, David didn't stay there. You see, Thankfully, the Corinthians didn't stay where they were but they had a sorrow that prompted repentance. Thankful that Peter didn't stay where he did, or Paul, or any of the the countless examples, then or now. Aren't you thankful that there's somebody in your life who has set an example to not allow the past to immobilize them in the present and future? That they have repented of their sin, they've trusted trusted God's mercy and put faith in Him to do His will now. Aren't you thankful for that example? If so, then don't, then follow that example. Not the world's of a continual regret, but more on that in just a minute. Because you see, it immobilizes us. And, that's, and Satan loves that. Regret can lead us to despair. To hopelessness. That, that's what happened with Judas. That's, the, that, that's the, the embodiment of the problem of suicide. One of the, 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 the major forces of suicide is someone reaches a point in their life where they feel entirely hopeless and helpless. Judas, let's read the verse. Matthew 27, 3-5. Let's remind ourselves of this man. Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. I'm not sure. You know, you wonder, have to made to wonder sometimes what, what Judas expect was going to happen. He betrayed him to, to hand him over to them. What did he think was going to happen? But he was remorseful. He regretted what he had done. And he, had done it. he said, he's innocent. They could care less. He threw down the money in the temple. He departed and went out and hanged himself. His solution was kill himself. That's not God's solution. Because you see, Jesus came to remove hopelessness, to remove despair, to remove debilitating sinful regret, replace it with a living hope. Luke 4, verse 18. Jesus, when He quoted Isaiah, He read Isaiah 61 in the synagogue in Nazareth. And a part of that verse says that the Messiah was coming to heal the brokenhearted. Heal the brokenhearted. Regret can break our heart. The question is, are we going to stay in the state of being brokenhearted or will we 
find the living hope that's in Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with a living hope. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. We have a living hope through Christ Jesus as He was resurrected through His resurrection from the dead. There's life beyond the grave. And so let us live not with a, a destructive regret, but with the hope of heaven. This requires that we repent, change our heart, change our conduct to the will of God, put our faith in Him. Well, see, regret can cause us to change our conduct, and that's our reading from Matthew 21, our scripture reading this morning. As Jesus presented the man with the two sons, and said, go and work in my vineyard today. And one son said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. He had a regret that changed his conduct. Now, Jesus is making the spiritual application about sin as He goes on in that text. You see, the, the, the tax collectors and harlots believed the message of John. Their lives were saying, no, I will not serve God, but they heard John's message, his call, and they're going to enter the kingdom before the one, and they believed, and they're going to enter the kingdom before the, the religious ones who, when they heard the call, they rejected it. They rejected John's call. Well, in Luke 15, oh, and by the way, you know, that's what we saw in the Corinthians. You know, godly sorrow producing repentance unto salvation. In Luke 15, the, the, the prodigal son who had wasted his inheritance, his, his grievous sins, he has nothing now, he, he, he is scrounging just to survive. He said, it says he came to himself in verse 17, and in verse 18, he said, I will arise and go to my father. I'm going to change my conduct. And so verse 20, he, he did. He arose and he came to his father. My point is, he, he reached a point of regret that caused a, repent, a repentant heart and a change in his life. It is a regret that replaced hopelessness with the joy of salvation. David discusses that in Psalm 51 and, and his sins against God. And the faith that he had to trust God and His plea to God to purge him of sin, to create in him a new heart, a clean heart, and to restore in him the joy of salvation, God's salvation, so that He could teach others. He could teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted. You see, we, we must allow the regret of sin to prompt godly sorrow so we change so repent and have the joy that you'll never find in regret. Who's joyful in regret? Who's happy in that? Who has contentment in regret? It's not there. And so, to allow it to prompt a repentance and a change to salvation, that's how we have to use it. Well, Regret causes taking prompts us to take our personal responsibility, and that's what happened with Corinthians. And Paul elaborates that. You know, if we'll allow regret to be a catalyst to to prompt our repentance, then it can produce diligence 
and clearing of ourselves and indignation and fear and desire and zeal and vindication. We can show ourselves to be clear in a matter that before we were guilty if we'll allow the regret to prompt our repentance. Peter repented. Jesus said, after your faith is restored, after your faith is strengthened, then or restore strength in your brethren. He said, I pray that you, your faith would not fail, and when you return to Me, strengthen your brethren. We've got to return to Jesus. Not let regret keep us away from Him. Not let regret be cause a fear of failure in the future. Now I'm reminded of John Mark. Remember that? We don't have really time to develop this much now, but you know he left Paul and Barnabas on that first preaching journey and went home. When Paul and Barnabas were talking about a second journey, Paul said, no, I don't want to take John Mark. He left us before. and Barnabas wanted to take him and they went different areas of work. But, but later on, near the end of his life, Paul said, bring John Mark with you because he's helpful for me in ministry. I guess the point right now I just want to suggest is, you suppose John Mark ever regretted going back to Jerusalem? I, f- I figure he probably did. But he didn't let that debilitate him and mobilize him. Uh, he, he continued to grow and develop and and Paul later in his life said, bring him. He's useful for me. He, he's, a, he's a servant and I need him. So you, say you can move beyond regret uh, and, and be productive. Something else regret can do, and it's kind of a negative aspect, and that is, you see, sometimes it can cause us to take more responsibility on ourselves than is due. We can, we can get mired in regret, and, and, uh, and in Galatians 6, 1-5, uh, it reminds us that when someone's overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens. And 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 so we can we can try to do that and do that in fact and, and try to help over help someone overcome and, and and bear their burden and and they don't respond and they don't actually repent and and. and we begin, we can begin regretting. Well, if I'd have just done this, or if I'd just done that, and and yet Paul goes on to say, and I understand each one's going to bear his own his own load, his own responsibility. Your responsibility is to try to restore them, but don't regret doing what you can, and then they're not responding and taking their own responsibility in a matter. Sometimes we can let, we can take we can have undue regret, I suppose is one, of and, and take undue responsibility. You know what that can cause? That can lead us to have a martyr complex sometimes. And not just in that illustration, but but even sometimes legitimate regrets. If we don't deal with them the right way, we can we can become a woe we can be be the woe is me person. I'm the martyr. I'm the one. It's always about I'm always hurt. It's always me. That that's not where you want to be. Because you're not going to improve when you're there. You're not going to get stronger when you're there. You're not going to have a joy of salvation there. Don't develop a, a martyr complex. Take the responsibility that's yours. But if you take more than is yours and have some regret, that can lead you to just give up. Oh, it doesn't matter anyway. Well, don't let regret be a weight that pulls you away from doing the will of God. 
Well, regret, you know, some people say, I never have any regrets. <laughs> well, you know, having no regret ever, <laughs> that can be a veil behind which we hide our own arrogance and self righteousness. I mean, you know, if we have no regret, how are we ever going to be moved to godly sorrow and repent? What are we, if we say, I never have a regret, what am I tacitly implying? If not, what am I silently saying other than, well, my heart is so hard, I'm trusting in myself. I ever have anything to regret of, but if you don't have anything to regret of, how do you ever have a sorrow over sin that leads you to repent? So be careful if someone never has any regret. Be careful of yourself if you never have any regret. Because I suspect that's the kind of person that has very little empathy and very little self-inspection. You suppose that might be the kind of people who Jesus talked about when He said, He that's without sin let him cast the first stone. John 8 and 7. They had no, no self-inspection. They were concerned about others but never looked at themselves. So be careful lest we get to that point as well. Well, I know my time is up. Give me five more minutes. I want to talk to you about trying to avoid regret. Avoid regret. Go to one passage with me. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 9 and 10. And I know this could, this could be an entire study itself. and Maybe we'll do more on it someday. I encourage you to do more on it. Ecclesiastes 9, 9 says, Live joyfully with your wife, with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that He's given you under the sun, all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Here's four things to help us Avoid regret. Lay aside regret. Deal with regret. Overcome regret. Take any of those choices you want, any of those verbs that you need to, to deal in the right way with, with regret. One is, commit yourself to live joyfully. Live joyfully. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul said. Put yourself in a position in life where there is joy, not where there is sin. Not where you have to to uh, where you have an environment of regret. Live joyfully. God has given you life as a joyful blessing. Seek that joy out. Commit yourself to the joy that's in the Lord. Number two, be thankful. Be thankful. You say, well, "Where's that in that verse?" Well, it says, "He says God is giving you your life on this earth. God's giving you the blessing of a family. Be thankful." In everything, give thanks. First Thessalonians five and verse eighteen. You want to avoid, overcome, address regret properly. Be thankful for the blessings God continues to give you, including the blessing of forgiving you for having done that thing you shouldn't have done or not doing the thing you should have done. Be thankful. Find His joy. Thirdly, do your own work diligently. You want to overcome regret? Then be diligent. To do what God has given you to do. In fervent, Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 1, in diligence not slacking. I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly. Romans 12 and verse 11. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit serving the Lord. 
Overcome regret. Give yourself consistently to doing His work in a diligent way, fervently. Because if we don't do what we know we ought to do, it's sin. So, so let's be diligent doing our own work in life that our hands find to do. Be thankful. By the way, on that be thankful with where, what God's blessed us with, you can't do that if you're comparing yourself always to somebody else in this world and then regret that you're not where they are. See, if, you're, if we're comparing ourselves always to somebody else, that just never works out. 2 Corinthians 10 and 12. Be thankful for what you have, the blessings that are yours, and you work diligently in that sphere to do the will of God. And fourthly, accept the inevitable. In other words, know you're going to die. There's a, there's a meditation of, among some Buddhists, evidently, that their meditation five times a day is, don't forget you're going to die. You know, while I reject Buddhism, the idea of remembering that we're going to die is a good thing. Paul, uh, Solomon here says, understand that life under this earth is going to end. There's a grave in front of our, in our future. There's a grave in our future. And so, you want to live without regret? You overcome regret? Remember, you're going to die. So make choices that prepare you for that, like Paul did. He had many regrets, but through Christ and God's forgiveness and His repentance and His obedience to Christ, those were removed. And he could live anticipating, anticipating death. There'll be no regrets in heaven. No tears, no sorrow. <laughs> I can't explain how that's going to be, but I believe it. <laughs> I, don't, I, I can't explain that, but I believe it. And so, what, what he, he wants us to do is put our trust in Him. <clears throat> remove sin and remove its regrets. Repent and obey His will and live for Jesus. And press on. We'll close with that verse in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Don't allow regrets of the past to define you and immobilize you and weigh you down and prevent you from keeping your eyes on Jesus. Philippians 3, 13. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended or seized or taken hold of but one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forward to the things that are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let us allow that to be our aim when we, when we address regret in our lives. Trust in God. Press forward in faith. Have a regret that prompts repentance so that we can be saved by obeying His Gospel. Becoming a Christian or confessing our sin, praying God's mercy, and He will forgive you. If that's your need right now, we want to help you do that with no regrets in Jesus Christ to have the joy of salvation. While we stand and we sing, won't you come?